Hi guys, this is Dr. Manette with Sew in Peace and welcome back to another one of my videos. I hope and pray all is well with you and yours today. So um, I titled this message, Time is Running Out and Wake Up. But uh, the message or today's message is about uh, believers in Christ who are dead but alive. So they are dead but alive. And you might be wondering, how in the world can somebody be dead and alive at the same time? Well, you're going to find out in today's lesson. Um, and here's a quick disclaimer. Um, I am not feeling that great today, so forgive me. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, but uh, we're going to get through this message because I think this is an excellent message for us. And uh, I, I don't know, I just couldn't wait to talk about it. So anyway, uh, but the message that we are going to focus on comes from the book of Revelation chapter three, uh, verses one through six. And in this uh, message, it's about a letter that uh, Jesus Christ himself, he, he wrote to one of the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, the part, part of Asia that uh, he wrote this letter to is probably not the Asia that we think about today. Um, I don't want to go into the details of that, but it was um, these churches. There were seven churches in this particular part of Asia back in Jesus' time or back in uh, the Apostle John's time. Uh, so anyway, uh, but Jesus, he addresses, uh, you know, each of these churches uh, with with the letter, okay? And he has John to write these letters. He instructs them him to write these letters and to deliver them to this to these churches. But uh, the letter that I want to um, focus on today is a letter that Jesus Christ wrote to a church in the province of Asia called Sardis, okay? And I think that this particular message. Man, it's so good. I mean, I think that um, we will be able to apply this message to our individual selves as believers. So just um, another disclaimer here. Uh, the book of Revelation uh, from Jesus Christ is actually about himself, okay? So it is a revelation, or you can say that it's a disclosure or an exposure of who Jesus Christ is. And then he also reveals what's going to happen in the future. And uh, this is extremely important for you and I to know because this book, the book of Revelation, it reveals Jesus' uh, evaluation of his churches, okay? Meaning the book of Revelation gives uh, Jesus this, assessment about the church um, and about you and I personally, but about the church. And then he reveals to us what's going to happen in the future, um, such as regarding the tribulation. And he reveals God's triumph over victory. I mean, not triumph over victory, but his, God's triumph over evil, or, or you can say his victory over evil. And then he talks about his uh, reign on earth. And then he also talks about the blessedness of the eternal kingdom. But again, like I said earlier, the message that I'm going to focus on today is about this letter that he instructed John to write uh, to the church of Sardis. And I, and I chose this particular passage because I think that it applies to you and I individually as well. So Sardis uh, was a city, okay? And it was a very wealthy city that was actually in two locations, okay? So you had the older section that was sitting on top of a mountain or it was on a mountain 
mountain. And then when the population outgrew itself or when it outgrew uh, that particular spot, um, they had developed a newer section and they built it in the valley below, okay? In the valley below the mountain. So the church uh, that dwelt in this wealthy city had a reputation for being active, meaning they had a reputation for hard workers. They had a reputation for being very functional and effective. But in spite of their committed work to the church, uh, Jesus had something against them, okay? He had something against the church. Now, the church are the people. So he had something against the people, Okay, in this particular uh, church, in this particular location. Okay, and the problem they had, they had a sin problem, meaning this church or these individuals who call themselves believers in Christ, they were infested with sin because their deeds were evil. Okay, in other words, uh, the Bible says that their clothes were soiled. Okay, so Jesus, he instructs John, uh, I think he's at the island of Patmos at this time, but he instructs John to write a letter to the church. And it says, to the angel, okay, so to the angel, um, I don't think John is writing to an angel in heaven, but he's writing a message to a, he's writing um, a letter to a divine messenger of the church, meaning Jesus is most likely instructing John to write a letter to one of the leaders of the church in Sardis, okay? And so in the letter, uh, Jesus says, these things said he, or John says, these things said he, uh, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So in other words, the Holy Spirit says to the church, he says, I know thy works. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. So in other words, uh, Jesus is saying, listen here, church in Sardis, I know your deeds, okay? I know what you do. I know how you perform in the church, but you know what? You have a reputation that you are alive, but in reality, you are dead. Meaning, although you appear like you are alive on the outside, inwardly, you are spiritually dead is what Jesus is saying. So Jesus go, goes on to tell them in verse two, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He says, because I have not found thy works perfect before God. So the church in Sardis, uh, they were spiritually dead. That was their problem. They were spiritually dead because they had a sin problem with only a few members remaining faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So outwardly, they appeared spiritually alive and active and they had a reputation for success. But Jesus, he saw in their inner hearts, meaning Jesus saw, he looked into their hearts and he saw the absence of himself in his in their hearts. He saw religion, and but he did not see any spiritual life. So in other words, these believers in Sardis, they were professing Jesus with their activities. They were busy with the things of the kingdom of God, but their hearts were far from him. Okay. They didn't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, I think out of all of the seven churches that Jesus instructed John to write to, I think this church may have received probably one of the harshest or disapproval, or maybe even the um, harshest condemnation from Jesus Christ. But after going through this passage, I realized that you and I, as believers in Christ should really, uh, take a good look at ourselves inwardly, okay? Jesus is telling these believers, he says, yeah, you know what? I have a record of what you do. 
for the church. I know what you do, but that don't mean anything because you are spiritually dead. I don't want that. The Bible tells us in Hosea chapter six that Jesus don't want our sacrifice, but what he wants is our love. He said, I don't want your offerings. Okay. I don't want your sacrifices, but I want you to know me. That's, that's what matters. And so the believers in Sardis, they weren't doing that. They were just offering their sacrifices of service in the church. Okay. So in other words, Jesus is saying, for I only desire and I only delight when my children are steadfast, when they're loyal to me, when they're faithful to me, when they're in a covenant relationship with me, rather than their sacrifice. I don't want that. Okay. He said, I want you to have the knowledge of God more than you offering uh, burnt offerings to me or more. He's basically saying more than you're trying to offer your service and sacrifice to me. I don't want you to know that, but I want you to understand who God is. Okay. He wants you to desire him. He wants you to delight in him. He wants you to be steadfast in him and loyal and faithful to him in a covenant relationship. Okay. Jesus is saying, I don't want your work at all. No, I don't want that. I want your loyalty. Okay, so this passage, I believe, should make you and I uh, examine ourselves to see if you and I are in the faith. You know, Paul, he tells some believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 to examine themselves to see whether or not they are in the faith. He tells them to test yourselves. He says, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? He says, unless, of course, you fail the test. So in other words, as believers, uh, Paul is saying that you and I need to do um, an examination on ourselves to determine if our salvation is a present reality, okay? Not a past reality, but a present reality. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, you know how you get some physical checkups? He said, I need you to get a spiritual checkup. Okay. Paul is saying, examine yourself to see if you are devout to Christ, to see if you are deeply committed to Jesus Christ. He's saying, check yourself. Okay. To see if you have a growing awareness of Christ's presence and power in your life. Okay. So in other words, Paul is saying, we need to examine ourselves to see if we are real children of God or to see if we are an imposter. Okay? We need to examine ourselves to see if Christ really dwells in our hearts, or we need to be able to see if we're a counterfeit who is just actively involved in the faith. He's saying, test yourself to see if you are taking active steps to grow closer to God, or are you drawing further away from, from God? This is what was going on with the believers in the church of Sardis. Okay, They were alive and they were active in the church, but they were spiritually dead. And Jesus tell them in the letter, starting at verse uh, three in Revelation, no, not verse three, in Revelation chapter three, verse two, he tells them, be watchful, okay? And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He says, why? Because I have not found thy works perfect before God. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is telling the children of God in Sardis to wake up. He's saying, wake up. He's saying, be on alert. Okay. Be attentive, be vigilant, be observant and prepare your heart. He is saying to these believers that I need you to strengthen yourself and reaffirm yourself. 
by confirming what remains. Meaning Jesus wanted these believers to confirm their faithful commitment to him because it was about to die. Do you understand? Okay. In other words, Jesus was telling them that I need you to prove to yourself. Jesus already knew their heart. Okay. He already knew where they were, but he wanted them to see it for themselves. And when, once they saw it for themselves, he wanted them to prove to themselves Okay, that they wanted to be with Christ Jesus or prove to them that they wanted him. Okay, doesn't that sound familiar? Have you ever been with someone that didn't want you, but they were still with you? That's what was going on with the church of Sardis and Jesus Christ. Okay, their actions were saying that they didn't want Jesus, but they were still walking around in the kingdom and doing things for the kingdom of God, you know. But, but, but when you are with someone that, 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 you know, they, they not emotionally attached to you, they, they act like they don't want you, but they're still with you. Right. Well, there's some point in your relationship where you're going to get to the point where you're fed up with that person. And so in that time that you're fed up, sometimes you start kind of demanding that that person reaffirm their commitment to you. And the reason why you need them to reaffirm their commitment to you is because you know that the relationship is about to break, okay? And it's not about to break because of you, because you might be the one that wants a relationship or maybe you're the other person, but it's about to break because that person is not being committed to you, okay? Okay, so a relationship takes two people. Okay. So before this, uh, these believers, uh, faith was about to die. Jesus was basically saying, confirm yourself. Okay. Reaffirm your commitment to me. Okay. He was giving them an opportunity to make right with him. Okay. So this is what was going on between Jesus and these believers. He was giving them an opportunity to make right with him. And maybe that's some of you right now. Maybe God is giving you an opportunity to make right with him. Jesus is always the faithful one. Okay. But we are the ones who become unfaithful. Okay. And because of our unfaithfulness, a lot of times, most of the times Jesus is going after us. Okay with this loving kindness to drag us back to him. He was calling these believers at the church in Sardis to repent. He was calling them to reaffirm what remained of their commitment to him before it died. And Jesus tells them this because he's saying, your deeds are not completed in the sight of God, okay? In other words, Jesus was saying that your deeds we're not meeting God's requirements, okay? That's what he was telling them. So Jesus told them in verse three, so don't forget what you have received and heard, meaning obey it. Obey what you have received and heard about him, okay? Change your hearts, change your lives is what he's saying. He's telling them you have got to wake up. Because if you don't wake up, 
If you don't wake up, he says, I will come to you and I will surprise you like a thief. Okay. And you will not know when I will come. In other words, Jesus is saying, remember and take the heart, the lessons which you have received and heard when you first believed in me. He's saying, go back and remember when you heard the gospel. Okay. And you were excited about knowing me. Okay. You fell in love with me. He's saying, remember that. Take to heart that lesson that you learned about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what you have received and heard about him. Believe that and keep that and obey that. Jesus is saying, remember that. Okay. Keep that understanding in your foreknowledge. Okay. And obey them. And repent. And he's saying, change your sinful ways of thinking. Change the way you're thinking in this very moment. And when you change the way that you're thinking in this very moment, that's keeping you away from Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want you then to repent and demonstrate that repentance, or you need to show or explain your repentance with new behavior. And this new behavior needs to prove that you have made a conscious decision to turn away from sin, okay? To turn away from all of your sacrifices in the church and not being intimate with him. And that's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, wake up, okay? Time is running out. He says, I need you to go back to the basis of the faith when you first gave your life to me, okay? He's saying, I need you to have a sincere faith in me. I, I need you to have a simple faith and a faith that is pure, he says, but if you don't snap out of this, okay, if you don't snap out of being active for the kingdom of God and forgetting me, okay, if you do not wake up and be on the watch, Jesus said, I'm going to come on thee. I'm going to come on you as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Jesus is telling us, he's telling you and me that we have got to be in tune with what he is doing. So that he will not, so that we will not be caught off guard or surprised when he returns. In other words, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be on alert because of the moment when Christ returns, he's going to catch those who are not paying attention by surprise. Meaning he's going to catch those in their wicked deeds and in their spiritual sleep. And Jesus is saying, wake up. Okay. Wake up. I want you to listen to the story about the 10 virgins or the, uh, or you can say 10 girls, but some say girls, I think in the easy read translation. And then I think in a lot of translations, King James, it says 10 virgins, but it's about these 10 girls. And it's in a book of Matthew chapter 25 verses one through 13. So starting at verse one in Matthew 25, the Bible says at that time, God's kingdom will be like 10 girls who went to wait for the bridegroom. Okay. They took their lamps with them and five of the girls were foolish and five of the girls were wise, meaning only five of the girls were watchful and prepared. And the Bible says in verse three, that the foolish girls took their lamps with them but they did not take extra oil for the lamps. So the wise girls took their lamps, okay? And they took more oil in their jars. And when the bridegroom was very late, the girls could not keep their eyes open and they all fell asleep, okay? So the oil in the parable, it represents our faith, okay? 
It represents our testimony. It represents our purity and dedication. Okay, The oil represents our good works. And it represents our keeping of covenants with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the five girls, the five foolish girls, were not faithful. Okay? They did not keep their covenant. Okay? And at midnight, someone had announced that the bridegroom is coming. Meaning someone had announced the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they said, come and meet him. Okay. Then all the girls woke up. They made their lamps ready. But the foolish girls said to the wise girls, give us some of your oil. The oil in our lamps is all gone. See, the lamp in our lives or the lamp represent our lives, okay? It's our life, okay? So imagine a lamp being your life, okay? And the oil is your righteousness and obedience. So this means that the five wise girls, they filled their lamps with faithfulness, okay? They filled their lamps with God's testimonies. They didn't forget what Jesus had done for them in their lives, okay? They remembered what Jesus had done. That's another way of keeping you in the faith. They remembered their purity that they had to maintain in the faith. They filled their lives with dedication to God and consistency to God. They filled their lives with right doing for God, for the Lord's sake, okay? For Jesus' name's sake. And they filled their lives with obedience, okay? So the wise girls said no to ungodliness while they were in the earth, okay? The wise girls said no to worldly passions. The wise girls lived self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while they were awaiting for Jesus Christ to return. And the wise girls, they did this with eagerness. And then they were eager to do good for Jesus Christ. And because of this, it proved that they were the true daughters of Jesus Christ. Okay? So when the foolish girls asked the wise girls for some of their oil, the wise girls answered, no, no. The oil we have might not be enough for all of us. And the wise girls told the foolish girls, why don't you go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves? Listen to me. Forgive me. I'm under the weather. But listen. Someone else's Faithfulness to Jesus Christ in this world, in this present age, will never ever be enough for your own life, okay? You can't depend on somebody else's faithfulness to Christ, dedication to Christ, commitment to Christ. Jesus is saying, you got to fill your own lives up with faithfulness and righteousness 
and obedience. The foolish girls, when they went out to go buy oil, what happened? While they were gone, the bridegroom came. This means that Jesus came. The girls who were ready, they went in with the bridegroom to the wedding feast. They didn't, they went in with Jesus. And when they went in with Jesus, Jesus closed the door and locked it while they were out trying to go get some oil, trying to fill their lives up with what's right. Do you understand what's going on? The foolish girls waited too late to get right with God. Do you understand? Okay. They waited too late. You can't keep saying, I'm going to get it right with God. Okay. I'm going to go back to church one day. I'm going to change my life. No, right now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. We got to fill our lives up right now, okay? And when we're filling our lives up right now, we need to be on the watch for Jesus' return with joy and anticipation. That's why Jesus is saying, wake up. After Jesus had closed the door and locked the door, the girls had came back a little bit later and they said, sir, sir, open the door and let us in. And what did Jesus say? What did the bridegroom say? He answered, he said, certainly not. And not only did he say, certainly not, he says, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. These girls were believers. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. And he said, many will say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. This is what the believers were doing in Sardis. And maybe even some of you today. They were active in the church. Okay. I don't know what kind of church they were attending, but apparently they were doing wonderful works in the church. But because of their lack of intimacy with Christ, Jesus said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work it iniquity. Depart from me. We can't work in the visible kingdom of God, but don't have time for God. Okay? We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't be busy with the ministry but we don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't make time for him. So Jesus is saying in verse 13 of Matthew 25, you and I need to always be ready. Okay. 
because we don't know the day or time when he's going to come for us. He's going to come like a thief at a night. He's going to come and surprise many of us. So for us who are true believers in God, we need to be people that remain vigilant. Okay. So that you and I are going to be ready for the day when we meet Jesus Christ face to face. You know, I know uh, life is, you know, full of distractions, but you and I, we can't allow these distractions to eat us up alive. We can't allow them to keep us from seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, Jesus is saying we got to go back to the basics. We need to go back to remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross, okay? We need to keep that understanding in our foreknowledge, and we need to hold fast to that faith so that we can know and understand why it is that we need to honor God with our life from our hearts, okay? Jesus Christ, the one thing he desires from you is a simple relationship with you. He just wants to spend time with you, okay? Jesus he just wants to talk to you. He wants to heal you, okay, from all of your past hurts and your lack of understanding. He wants to heal you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to teach you what to do in this life. He wants to teach you how to be in that marriage, how to raise your children the proper way. He wants to be a guide for your life and direct your life for your own good, okay? For your own good. He's our heavenly father. He is not trying to harm us or judge us. Okay. He's not looking for you to prove your salvation with how much you can do for him in the church or any other organization, how much you can feed the needy. Although we should do those things. We should be an be active in growing the church. Okay. But the core of, of, of your relationship with Christ needs to be based on your love for him because his relationship was always based on his love for us. And he wants us to love him back. Okay. He just wants a genuine relationship with us. That's what he wants. Genuine time. Genuine Bible study. Genuine prayer time. Okay. He's saying, be like the, some of the believers, a few of the believers that were in Sardis who had not defiled their garments. If you go to uh, verse four in revelation chapter three, Jesus Christ gives a personal uh, recognition to some of the believers. They were few of them, but who had remained faithful in that church. And he said, uh, thou's, uh, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Meaning there were some believers in Sardis out of all the ones who were, um, you know, had some wicked deeds. There were some in Sardis, a few of them in Sardis who had not contaminated their character or their personal integrity with sin. Okay. They had not compromised with the surrounding culture that they were living in. So you remember Sardis, you know, it was a wealthy city. Okay. It was an uh, important commercial trading city. And, and the city was actually a pagan city. It was full of uh, heathens, okay? It was full of idolatry, full of unbelievers, full of skeptics, full of atheists and agnostics and apostates. And, and because of this, because of what was going on, the church in that city had failed to stand out amidst the darkness, okay? 
some of us are like that today. We are in a city, in a pagan city, in a pagan society around us. And some of us are just like most of the believers that were in Sardis, okay? Failing to stand out in the midst of that darkness. Jesus says that uh, these believers were like, um, he said in another passage, I can't remember if it was in Matthew, but he's saying that the believers were like whitewashed tombs. You know, they were clean and white on the outside, but on the inside, they were, they were dead. You look good on the outside, but you're spiritually dead on the inside. You don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. But, but he, he recognized that there were a few believers that stood out regardless of what was going on around them. Okay. They had remained faithful to Jesus. And so Jesus says, th this is the important part too, right here. Jesus says in Revelation chapter three, verse four, that those believers, okay. So you had, let, let's, let's draw this out. Let's see if I can draw it out. So in the world, the world is full of pagans and unbelievers. Okay. You got all kind of, like I said, skeptics and agnostics and uh, atheists and apostates and all kinds of stuff, right? All these different people. So out of the world, uh, God calls some people uh, who trust in him, right? So now you have two groups of people, okay? So now you have these unbelievers and then you have these believers, right? So out of the believers, this is what's going on in Sardis. Out of the group of believers, this group gets separated as well, okay? Because one part of these believers, uh, they're going to fail to remain in Christ, okay? They're kind of going to give up their faith walk, right? They're, they're, they're going to forget their be, being intimate with Jesus Christ. But then you have another believers uh, that, well, you have another set of believers that they're the ones who will stand out regardless of what's going on around them, okay? So that's what happened in Sardis. You had these other believers. You had a group of believers, but out of those believers, you had a um, another set of believers who actually remained faithful, okay? And Jesus saying, those believers, he says in Revelation 3, chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 4, those believers are the believers that are going to walk with Jesus in white. And the reason why they're going to walk with Jesus in white, because those are the ones that are going to be worthy, okay? So right here, Jesus is giving us an encouragement to remain in the faith, because if you remain in the faith, you will be the one who will be able to walk with him because you will be worthy to walk with him. So God is saying those believers uh, who seek simplicity and those believers who seek purity are the ones who are the remnant, okay? The remnant means the leftover believers or the believers who remain faithful out of the other believers, okay? They are the true devoted believers. And Jesus is saying, he that overcometh, okay? This remnant, this remnant that overcometh is the one that shall be clothed in white remnant, meaning he is the one that's not going to blot out their name out of the book of life. That's what the Bible says. He says, and I will not blot out that his name out of the book of life. He says, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay. So the remnant are the ones who are going to endure into the end. The remnants are the ones who are going to overcome this world. They're going to overcome Satan. They're going to overcome sin. They're going to overcome their personal desires. Okay. They're the ones who's going to endure to the end. They're the ones who are in the word. They're the 
ones who are on their knees praying. They're the ones who are being doers of the word and not hearers only. Those are the ones who are saying they're not asking God for everything that they want on this earth, but they're asking God to make their hearts right, to keep them from sin, to keep them out of darkness, okay? And those are the ones who are going to overcome, okay? Those are the ones who are going to be set apart for God, and they are the ones that will be pure in the end, okay? So Christ is saying those remnants, those people who remain faithful are the ones that will get the promise in the future. They're going to get the promise of the future honor, okay? That's, that's one of the rewards and eternal life, okay? The one who stands firm in their faith. We have got to stand firm in the faith, right? And the, and, and, and the children of God and Sardis, they were not standing firm in the faith except for a few of them, okay? And the few of them that remain firm in the faith are the ones that will be registered in the book of life and will be introduced to the host of heaven that belongs to Jesus Christ, okay? So I want you to, um, I want to say something because you may not even think of it like this, but I want to encourage you, okay, while you have time, while God is giving you this grace on this earth, to not be ashamed of your faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Sometimes uh, we can get caught up serving in the church, okay? We can get caught up um, doing a lot of things for Jesus Christ, a lot of activities. And I'm not saying we're not supposed to do that because we are, right? But sometimes we can get caught up in doing those things so much that we're not really spending intimate time with Jesus Christ in his word and in genuine prayer, okay? And because of that, we're giving our attention to other things, okay? We're being active in other things. We're successful in other things in the kingdom of God, but not successful in an intimate relationship with Christ. It's like kind of like being married, right? You know, sometimes as a wife, I'm I'm just going to bring myself in this. I remember at one point in my marriage, I was very successful at making sure dinner was ready, making sure the house was clean, making sure laundry was done, right? This is an example, a picture. But I don't think I was being successful with being intimate with my husband. And I'm not just talking about sexual, but I'm talking about just having a pure, simple, loving relationship with him, right? Because that's what he really desired. And I remember he told me that, like, I don't want all that, you know? I mean, he does. I mean, I'm sure if I just leave the house junkie all the time, he ain't gonna like that. But, but he really just loved me and he just really wanted something very intimate and close with me. Okay. But I think sometimes when we don't, uh, do that, um, it, it almost comes off like, you may not be associating this with shame, but I, I hope you can understand what I mean. When you don't give Jesus Christ your time and genuine prayer time with him and intimate talk time with him, walking around with him in your heart, it's almost like you are ashamed of your faith, okay? Because you're just simply refusing to commit yourself to him, okay? And 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 that, thing of not committing yourself to Christ intimately 
is a sign of being ashamed. You're not profess, you're not actively professing him. And you might say, well, I believe in Jesus. I'm not afraid to tell anyone that I believe in Jesus. That's great. But if you're not afraid, then, then you should be actively doing that. Okay. It's like being in a relationship with someone, but you don't want anyone to meet that person. You just keep in Jesus Christ uh, in your mind. You know that you believe in him and you're doing all kinds of stuff for ministry. You, you can't wait to make another video, blah, 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 blah. But if you are not having uh, a genuine relationship with Christ that requires you to confess him before others in word, but also in deed, meaning if your life is not repented and, and separated, then in a way, it's like you're hiding Christ. You're ashamed of him. You're not letting everybody know that you are holy, okay? I know sometimes uh, people see me and they, I'm trying to think, someone said I was like, it's not, someone called me, it's kind of equivalent to like a holy roller or something. And you know what? I don't care. Or, or a straight-laced Christian is what they call me, a straight-laced Christian. I don't care because I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of what he did for me in my life. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ loved me enough to save me from my wickedness and my darkness and my naiveness. You understand what I'm saying? Save me from being a silly woman. That I'm so not ashamed of Jesus Christ that I'm willing to look basic for Christ and to look holy for Christ. I'm not saying I can't look good. That's not what I'm saying, but I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm not ashamed of my faith. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 12, verse eight through nine, listen, Jesus says, I tell you, if you stand before others and are willing to say you believe in me, then I will say that you belong to me. Meaning I will say this in the presence of God and his angels that you belong to me. Okay. Like I said earlier, to confess Jesus before others in your life means that you are willing to show others that Christ is your Lord and master over your life. For me to look the way I do and dress the way I do and, 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 and disregard certain things, don't want to look at certain things on TV and listen to certain musics and, you know what I'm saying, be extremely modest. I'm confessing to you that Jesus Christ is Lord over my life. He's the master over my life, okay? That has to be done in the open. That has to be done before others, even those who oppose Christ, even those who oppose his ways and those who oppose his standards, okay? But God is saying, don't be like those believers in Sardis who lived in an opposing society, okay? And they failed to strengthen themselves, which was a sign of being ashamed of Christ. You may not feel that way, but that's just what it is, okay? When you don't want to give up certain things in Christ because of the society that you live in, you're being ashamed of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in Luke 12, 9, but if you stand before others, okay? You stand before people in this society, in this culture, and you say, I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I'm going to be sexy, though. He said, you're saying that you don't believe in me. 
And he said, then I will say that you do not belong to me. That's called lasciviousness. The Bible says anyone who practices lasciviousness will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, I will say in the presence of the angels, of God and angels, that you don't belong to me. Verbally saying you believe in Jesus has to match with an evident Christ-like life. Forgive me. <clears throat> Meaning, you and I, we got to walk around this earth with some evidence that God is our Lord and our master. We have to walk around this life with, in, with the evidence that our lives have been changed, okay? And it's only then that God is going to acknowledge us before others, before God and before the host of heaven, okay? He says, and if you are ashamed of him, then he will be ashamed of you. And the Bible says in Revelation 3, 5, and he will blot our names out of the book of life. In other words, there's a very strong possibility that the members of the body of Christ who failed to strengthen themselves in a committed, faithful relationship to Jesus Christ will have their names taken out of the book of life if they do not persevere in their faith and they don't overcome the evil around them and the sinful nature that is within them. You are constantly overcoming that. You're constantly pushing back the sinful nature with the spirit of God. To have your name, my name, blotted out of the book of life means to lose eternal life itself, okay? And to be condemned to the lake of fire in the end. And Jesus is saying, that is what the spirit is saying to the church. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the church. So I pray by the power of Jesus Christ, by the name of Jesus, that every one of you that watches this video that every family in heaven and on earth gets his true name from Jesus Christ. And I ask the Father in the name of Jesus with his great glory to give you the power to be strong in your spirits and that he will give you that strength through his spirit in the name of Jesus. I pray that Jesus Christ will live in your hearts because of your faith. And I pray that your life will be strong in love I mean, built on love in Jesus' name. May your life be built on love, loving God and loving thy neighbor. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love for you. I pray that you will understand how wide Christ loves you, how long he loves you, how high he loves you, and how deep he loves you. That's the love of Christ for you. Christ's love for you is greater than anyone can ever know. Nobody is worth you giving up your faith for Jesus Christ, okay? Not the society, not a relationship, no one. So I pray that you'll be able to know that kind of love from Jesus Christ. And then you can be filled with everything God has for you. With God's power working in you, he can do much, much more than anything you can ever ask for or think of. And I need you to understand that.
Okay. So it is to be, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time, forever and ever. Amen. I pray this. I pray you go back to the basics. I pray that you go back to simplicity. I pray that you go back to purity with Jesus Christ. Ministry is good. Don't let it you yourself become so active that you forget being intimate with Jesus Christ. He wants your heart, okay? Don't be dead and alive at the same time, okay? But strengthen yourself in the things of Christ. God bless you. This is Dr. Manette with Song Peace. For God loves you and I love you and I pray that you have a wonderful day. I'm gonna take a nap now because I don't feel good.